Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. How was... I feel like it's been so long for me, but (laughs) I'm just coming back from vacation for the first time and I can't even tell you how long I turned off my emails. I think I only went on social media like twice just to post some pictures and completely unplugged. I went to Belize for about a week and it was just beautiful there and... I'm relaxed now, ready to get into the craziness of the beginning of the school year. It's the beginning for us. You guys are probably listening to this, and you're well into your September. We actually have a really great guest that is going to be on our panel event. If you guys aren't already tired about hearing about our event, go and buy tickets, and then we'll stop talking about it. October 24th, Thursday evening at 5.30, we are hosting our second annual panel. It's our fifth annual fundraising event. And all proceeds obviously go to the Inclusive Education Project to help fund the advocacy that we do on behalf of many of the low-income families here in Los Angeles, Orange County. We've even gotten some people on Riverside. Yeah, just Southern. Yeah, yeah, just like (laughs) everywhere. And tickets, you go to our website, inclusiveeducationproject.org. This for week, early admission tickets, oh, right? Yes. Early admission, I think, ends October 1st. Yes. And then... So um, you only have a few days left. Yeah. So. And then tickets at the door, I believe, or a are little a little bit, bit more. more. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, our guests were very excited that Dr. Ellis... Krasnow. Krasnow from STEM Cubed, which is a new school here in Orange County developed by the founders of the Help Group in LA, which you may be familiar with. A wonderful, wonderful school that we've been dealing with for so long. We actually got to take a tour of STEM Cubed a couple weeks ago, and we have the wonderful Dr. Ellis on the pod this week. And if you listen to this episode and you just want more, which we were left wanting so much more, he will be our one of the panelists. And so we're so excited. So if you want more, like Vicki said, go buy those tickets. And we talk a lot about STEM and that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. So a lot of times we have people and kiddos that get kicked off of there. We even talk about this robotics teams and because they have behaviors and it's really the STEM cube and just the program, the STEM program at the help group really taps into a lot of those kiddos that are very tactile, that like technology and that have, and Dr. Ellis even talks about just even some of the kiddos on our spectrum, the way that their visual processing works. They can discriminate between very subtle differences in code that like you and our brains may not like grasp so it's a fascinating conversation he has an accent which was just lovely to listen (laughs) to so we really hope that you guys enjoy this episode he is the director of stem cube here in orange county and you can reach him at e as in ellis c as in cat r a s N is in Nancy O.W. at stem3academy.org. That email will be in the show notes as well as his phone number. And we hope you guys enjoy it. Enjoy. I was born in South Africa. I've lived here more than half my life in in the United States and in California. 
And I've been with the help group now going on, I'm working on my 12th year. Wow. I started with them as a teacher. I taught math and science and English and public speaking for them. And then they asked me to go into administration. And so I've been an assistant principal, a principal, and currently I'm the director of STEM Cubed Academy and the director of STEM education for the help group. How did Uh, you find the help group in the first place? Like you're getting your credentials to be a teacher and like, how did that, did you always know you wanted to do like special education work with kids living with autism or like, how did that come about? Actually, no, I had uh, come here to the United States originally to do graduate studies and I got my PhD in philosophy, specifically the philosophy of science. And I was teaching college. And however, my first degree, I had majored in psychology and was very interested in that. And then I took a science degree after that. And so I was looking for a way in which I could combine my interest, my passion for science, for teaching, and for psychology. And going into special education seemed to be one way of somehow or other combining all of these interests into one. I mean, being a special ed teacher does require a lot of patience, a Mm -hmm. lot of empathy, a lot of trying to understand what the particular needs of the child are. Not that those qualities are entirely absent in general education, but I think they become particularly acute in special ed. And that really appealed to me, um, to be able to educate a child where it wasn't just a matter of transferring content. Mm -hmm. But it was a matter of sort of figuring out how do they learn, how are they most responsive, what are their interests, what are they passionate about, and so providing a more individualized framework. Yeah. And so that's really where the story began. That's so great. I mean, definitely agree with that principle. I mean, special education, one thing we always say, like, we have to think outside the box. We have to be really creative with our approaches to helping support some of these students in these special populations. And I think looking at it from that point of view of, like, almost like a science point of view, because with science, we're always experimenting and we're trying new things. We're breaking barriers. And to come at education from that perspective is amazing because that's exactly what we should be doing. You know, certainly I totally agree with you. And that's really where I think the kernel of STEM Cubed Academy formed. Because as a teacher, all of our kids would graduate high school. There wasn't a question about them graduating high school. But what we started noticing is that they weren't really thriving after high school. And so the first question we really asked ourselves is, what can we do? differently K through 12, Mm -hmm. which could improve the outcome post high school. So it's really taking the long view of a child's progress of a child's education. And even today, I have no doubt that every kid who's at Stan Cube is going to graduate high school. That's not the issue. The issue isn't to educate them just for that. And I think, you know, the easy way out to say, well, that's not my responsibility. I mean, as long as I graduate high school, I've done my job, then it's somebody else's task to pick up the ball from there. But I think as an educator, you can't really take pleasure or pride in what you've done if you know that they've got as far as you got them, but no further. And really, the premise of the Individuals Disability Education Act is to produce, you know, productive members of society. And if we have this baseline of, well, you just need to graduate high school, but not know how to 
read a bus schedule or a map or, you know, figure out, you know, how to take the batteries out of the back of your country, you know, just these things that we think are simple and we take for granted, you know, throw a learning disability on top of that or a learning difference. And, you know, so much can be impacted. And I think that that holistic approach is what we've always enjoyed about the help group. Amanda and I have obviously dealt with the help group in Los Angeles, our clients there. And we're so excited that STEM Cube is opening and it's open. It's in Irvine. Yeah. And I mean, just that focus, I think, you know, especially, you know, when we're dealing with, you know, our kiddos with special needs and special circumstances, there's so much out there that if we play to their strengths and if we focus on their assets rather than their deficits, we're able to really kind of broaden that scope, right? It's not like we see so much with high school students being like their college and career center advisors. It's like, I don't think traditional schools are really opening up to because part of that is you have to have some of that basic knowledge too, right? We can't just learn the basics of biology and expect the kid to be like, oh, there's enough interest or knowledge of science to go into doing you know, so much more that there is in the field. I think the idea, and there are a lot of STEM schools out there, but I think what you guys are really trying to focus on is that individuality, which we love. You know, absolutely. Just to pick on a couple of things you mentioned. So you talked about being strength-based rather than deficit-based, and that's really been unfortunately true of special education for some time, where most people tend to focus on what does this child need? What does this child not do well? And so often you find their education is like pushing on a strain. You're trying, you're putting an enormous amount of effort into a perceived weakness or a perceived need while ignoring often their strengths, their passions, their interests, and perhaps making a marginally small difference in improvement in that deficit without really accelerating their strengths. Whereas if you work on a student's and any individual's strengths, if you find out what their passion is, if you find out what their interest is, often that will draw them in and so engage them that their needs, their deficits, their weaknesses become relatively unimportant. We all get rewarded for doing what we do well, not what we do poorly. Yes. And so by not doing or skirting around what I'm weak in, and we're all weak in something, by skirting those issues, by not, don't go into a field which is an area of weakness for you, Mm -hmm. but if you can develop your strength, if you can develop your passion, that can be a career. And so, so often we find kids with special needs, kids in our population, whether they're on the spectrum, whether they have ADHD, whatever their particular uh, difference is, they nevertheless have extraordinary gifts. They have extraordinary talents. They might be passionate about science. They might be great computer programmers. They might, you know, whatever this game, could be electronics, could be writing, could be art, could be drawing, could be sculpture, could be anything. And so to me, the field isn't what's important. The content isn't what's important. What's important is developing their enthusiasm, their passion, their interest, and taking that and developing it into an expertise, something that can be a field of interest to them and they can follow as a career. Absolutely. I totally agree with the strengths-based approach. You know, the other piece is, I was watching a documentary the other evening, I think it's called American Factory, it's on Netflix, 
And it's a story about how a Chinese company is in the United States. It was the first one. They built this factory and the differences in culture and so on. But the real point I wanted to make here is right at the end of the documentary, they just put up a caption, which is that by 2050, so you know, 30 years from now, yeah. something like 375,000 people globally will be displaced because of automation. Yes. Now, 375 yeah. million people is roughly the population of the United States. Wow. So sort of just to put it, you know, to get the scope of it. So can you imagine that the population of the United States, let's say, is sort of out of work? They've had to think of something else to do. Perhaps those jobs haven't been invented yet. Right. But they're definitely different. So you talked before about being a lawyer, being a doctor, and so on. So certainly traditional occupations uh, for the last 50, perhaps even longer years. But think of the jobs that are in demand today. Right. Software programmer, mm -hmm. data analysts, you know, people who, who have to be schooled in technology but also have to have a range of thinking skills that weren't emphasized before. So you have to be a problem solver. You have to be a critical thinker. You have to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to get on with others. You have to be able to be communicative and collaborative. You have to be optimistic. You have to have a growth mindset and believe that you can expand and develop and grow, that you're not limited in some way. So to my mind, the workplace itself has so radically transformed literally before our eyes. Yes. And I think that puts the burden on all educators, not only educators of kids with special needs, but it puts the burden on all educators to transform what they're doing in the classroom in order to provide the workers that the workplace needs. Because the skills that they're in demand have changed. Right. Um, and we need to keep up. And I think the burden is even heavier if you're a teacher in special ed, because traditionally that population has been underserved. They need to be able to stand side by side with their neurotypical peers if they're going to compete productively for those jobs that are in demand. Absolutely. Well, and I think we definitely see a problem with teachers as a whole not being supported. I think the question that gets thrown around so much is, well, why aren't teachers paid enough? But the reality is that's not the whole issue, right? It's yes, many, many teachers are very underpaid, but they're also not supported. They're not supported by their administration. They're not supported by other teachers. There's not collaboration. I think my aunt's a special ed teacher in LA and from the stories that she tells me and the struggles that she faces, it sounds, and a lot of friends that we know that are special education teachers, it's very isolating. There's not a collaborative approach to things. There's not the support of, well, you know, you could benefit from this resource. Let's find a way to get it, which I think is very unfortunate because these are the teachers that are doing or should be doing so much more. They have to be more creative. They have to kind of think outside the box more, which does take their expertise, but we think of it as kind of a throwaway job, I think. And that's why there's so much turnover in this field. You know something, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's part and parcel of this whole idea that somehow or other, you know, we should invest less in kids with special needs. We don't have to take as much care with kids mm -hmm. with special needs. They are less capable mm -hmm. than their neurotypical peers. 
uh, the possibilities aren't as rich and so we shouldn't make such great investments in them. And I think it filters down to the teachers and anybody involved in that part of education. And it's clearly false. I think it's false on its face. What's interesting to me is that the real impetus uh, to absorb so kids on the spectrum, kids with special needs generally, into the workplace hasn't really come from education pushing, generally speaking. It's really come from businesses realizing they need all the skilled workers they can get, and they're starting to look in places that they haven't traditionally looked. And so they now are starting to realize, so for example, Microsoft has a program now for kids on the spectrum. SAP, the giant German software company, has a program. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, mm-hmm. Ford, mm-hmm. Walmart, they all have programs to absorb kids on the spectrum, kids with special needs, into the workplace because they realize they are so desperate for workers with strong skills that they have to look in places they haven't traditionally looked. And the interesting thing is, this is not altruism. They're not doing it because they want to do anybody a favor. They're doing it because it makes perfect business sense to do so. They find that these workers are often outstanding workers. They're extremely loyal. They're grateful to have a job. They're not looking to climb necessarily the corporate ladder, you know, as the rest of the world is. They're happy to find a job that's meaningful to them, that's well-paid, that offers security, and they can live a meaningful life, have a family, buy a car, pay their own rent, do all the kinds of things that all of us are expected to do. So was this something you were kind of, you saw the curve, right? You were ahead of the curve, if you will, because the help group, when did they start their STEM program? And I believe you were pretty much instrumental in, in getting that together, correct? So, yes, I was the founding director of the STEM campus in Valley Glen, which is the first one we started in 2015. And then in 2016, we started one in Culver City. And, you know, this semester we've started in Orange County. But we've also been talking about this for quite some time. We have annually the help group as a help group summit in Los Angeles County. And another program of the help group, Advanced LA, also has a summit. And I remember doing one of them and having a gentleman from Specialist Sterner, which is a Dutch outfit. His name is Sonne, is his last name, S-O-N-N-E. In any event, he, this Danish man, he was a software engineer, and he has a son who is on the spectrum. And he had to look to employ software engineers for his company that he was working for at the time. And he noticed that many of the same qualities he was looking for, his son possessed. And so he started this company, it's called Specialist Stern, which I guess in Danish means special special workers or special people. And today he has a worldwide footprint. He's in Australia, he's in the United States. And what he does is they, they bring on people on the spectrum and they train them to do quality assurance. They train them to do software debugging because kids on the Mm. spectrum often have superior visual discrimination. They can tell very fine differences in visual images much more easily than you or I might be able to. And so they are outstanding workers in that capacity where you've got to look through, you know, lines and lines, hundreds, thousands of lines of code looking for one small error that's the reason why the code is not running properly. So he set up this international company to do it. So there's been a lot of impetus 
you know, certainly since 2015, when we've been formally involved uh, via the school. But even, I think, Torquil is his name. Torquil Sana started Specialist Journey, I think, in 2007. So there was this growing movement. I think pretty much worldwide, you see it now in neurodiversity. There's this growing movement almost worldwide to give a higher profile to individuals with special needs, individuals with differences, to say, you know, wait a minute, just because of that, it's no reason to believe they are less capable. In many cases, they are more capable. And that's sort of the movement we want to be part of, to emphasize their strengths, to emphasize their possibilities, to emphasize how much they can do. And I think it's a crying shame, as I know you do too, that for too long they have been underrecognized and underserved. Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, people like you that help promote that and not just show it by, you know, the what you believe, but you see it in practice and you're able to show it in practice in, you know, schools like STEM Cube. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how STEM Cube operates, how like if a student is enrolling, what would their typical day look like or week? Okay, that's a great question. So what we want to do, first of all, we're entirely diploma track. So a kid who comes to and we're K through 12 on all three campuses. So a kid comes to us, will graduate with a high school diploma and is capable of going to college. Whether or not they do is a different question. And it's a highly rigorous curriculum. On the other two campuses, we're WASC accredited, and I will WASC accredit uh, Orange County as well. And the idea is to provide a core curriculum. So it's all, we follow Common Core, we follow NGSS, the Next Generation Science Standards. We do math, English, history, and science from elementary school right up through high school, but it's a highly enriched program. So Mm -hmm. in addition to those four core classes, we give them design and engineering. They do robotics, they do art and design, they do PE, and in Orange County, they do Mandarin, starting in elementary school. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and that continues right through to high school. Once they get to high school, they can take between seven and nine AP classes. So we offer AP Calc BC, AP Computer Science Principles, AP History, AP English, AP Bio, AP Physics, AP Chem. So the idea is for them, It's not compulsory that Mm -hmm. they do so, but I want them, when they apply to college, for example, I want a college admissions officer to be able to look at their transcript and say, wow, here is a guy who's taken some of the hardest classes his Mm -hmm. school offers, and he's done well. This is someone I want to see on my campus. And the proof of the pudding, so to speak, is even though uh, 2015 means We've been in business, so to speak, in uh, the Valley Glen in Los Angeles only for four years. Right. But in those four years, I have a kid actually at UC Irvine studying law. I have three kids at UC Davis studying biology. I have a kid who's at Illinois Institute of Technology uh, who wants to become an engineer. I have a kid at Cal Louis Obispo who's also interested in biology. So... Not everyone, you know, I've got kids at the community colleges, right. I've got, we've graduated large classes, and I've graduated something like 23, well, for me it's large, for, for a public <laughs> school, probably minuscule, right, um, right. but I've graduated sort of 23 kids a year, pretty much, since we've opened, and so I've had an opportunity to see, anecdotally, the difference I see is 
between where they go now and what they're capable of now and what they expressed interests are now as opposed to would have been a decade ago a decade ago if i'd have said to a kid what do you want to do he would have said i want to be a game designer right, and they, right. Would, they would have said that not that there's anything wrong with being game designer but they would have said that only because they like playing games exactly exactly right. that you've opened up an entirely different world yeah. for them and that world of possibilities and to reach their potential and i think that just with the STEM program is amazing, but that has been the core of the help group. And that is why, you know, oftentimes we get parents that are just beaten down and really angry. It takes a lot to find an attorney because you don't know that they, we exist, right, in this area. And so when we find these egregious violations by the district, sometimes the only solution is to unilaterally place the child in a private school setting in a non-public school. And when we have done that, you know, for with the help group, and even now us just thinking about clients that we have currently here in Orange County that we can't wait to send your way just to see the children blossom into these young adults that have a future. Because before it was just all the doors were shut in front of them. Well, I'm so glad you brought up the idea of the picture that you're wanting to paint for these college admissions officers because you're right that is always something that I've heard at IEP meetings before well oh well you know the child has an IEP and so you know just the idea that they're going to be able to apply to a four-year like that's already in the mind of the school staff that that's not even a possibility but it's like at the end of the day we know that majority of these kids are harder workers than any other students Mm -hmm. at those schools. And so for a college admissions officer to see a student on an IEP who worked so hard in high school, they know that that kid is going to go to college and do the same versus a child who didn't have any learning challenges, who, you know, I don't want to say had it easier, but didn't have to work quite so hard because they were able to fit the mold maybe of traditional education. And how many of those kids do we see go slack off, skip school, go party? All the things that happen when 18-year-olds go to college. Yeah, which is to me is a sort of stunning statistic. That we're not preparing kids for college. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's the mindset is wrong, but, mm-hmm. you know, just following up on your point, that there are a lot of kids who go because they're expected to go, politically motivated to go, and so on. Whereas so many of our kids are just dying for an opportunity. Mm -hmm. These are kids who, you know, I get kids who come in who say, you know, can I join the robotics club? And we say, of course you can. And say, oh, you know, I was asked to leave my robotics team at my previous school. So, so you know, I'm sure you've heard the same, you know, stories. So it's too unfortunate that that's their experience. And that's what we really want to try and correct and try and balance out. Well, we can't wait to hear more how the school year (laughs) starts. And we'll provide information about STEM Cubed on our show notes. And when we promote the episode for our listeners to be able to get more information. And, you know, if a parent is or an educator who has a kid on an IP is looking to get more information about STEM 3 Cubed and wants to either talk to you or get more information, what's the best way for them to, to do that? They can either call me directly or they can email me and I can give you my email address. I think you have it, so feel free to give them my email address. Feel free to give them my telephone number. 
I believe I now have an 800 number uh, for Orange County, which I will definitely email to you. And so feel free to let them reach out. And I'm always responsible, you know, within 24 hours. Perfect. Dr. Ellis, thank you so much for your time. We will put that information in our show notes. And thank you again for being on our podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.